By 2030, electric vehicles are forecast to make up over half of all new cars sold in the U.S. That could put a big strain on our nation's electric grid, an aging system that was built for a world that runs on fossil fuels. Electricity demand across the United States is really expected to increase in coming decades, somewhere between 14 and 19 percent by 2030, and between 27 and 39 percent by 2035. Over the past decade, demand only increased by about 5 percent. But now, Electrify Everything has become a strategy and a mantra for the clean energy movement, calling for the electrification of transportation, but also of space heating for homes and offices, household appliances like stoves, and, to the extent possible, processes like iron, steel, and chemical production. About 60% of electricity generation in the U.S. still comes from fossil fuels. And so electrifying all of these sectors isn't a climate solution unless we also invest in a major build-out of renewables. So you electrify as many things as possible, and you then decarbonize the supply of electricity, and in so doing, decarbonize the economy. That happens to be happening at the exact same time so we have uh, both supply side and demand side drivers of big grid needs. That means we need major changes to the grid. More high voltage transmission lines to transport electricity from new wind and solar power plants to the areas where it's needed most. Smaller distribution lines and transformers for last mile electricity delivery. And hardware like inverters that allows customers with home batteries, EVs, and solar panels to feed excess electricity back into the grid. But it's not going to be cheap. In a study commissioned by the California Public Utilities Commission, Shumafon's grid analytics company, Kavala, forecasts that California alone will have to spend $50 billion by 2035 in distribution grid upgrades to meet its ambitious EV targets. And that's just one state's transportation sector. Other parts of the country and the economy are electrifying quickly, too. When you carry this through to the whole country and you think about beneficial electrification, we're probably talking about a number that looks more like $3.5 to $5 trillion. But the U.S. is not on track to spend anywhere near this. And building the high-voltage interstate transmission lines that are key to greening our electric grid is a bureaucratic nightmare, given all the utility and regulatory agencies involved. Permitting can take a decade or more. But our nation's grid needs are at least starting to gain attention. So this is a known problem, but it is also a very hard problem. It's endemic to the way that power has been generated in this country since we started building electric grids. Scrambling to avoid the worst impacts of climate change, the Biden administration has set an ambitious target of creating a 100% carbon-free electric grid by 2035. But with electricity demand increasing every year, that's going to require a massive build-out of both renewable energy resources and grid infrastructure. An owner of a new Tesla Model 3 who drives the national average of around 14,000 miles per year would use about the same amount of electricity charging their vehicle at home as they would on their electric water heater over the course of a year or about 10 times more electricity than they would to power a new energy-efficient refrigerator. Larger electric vehicles, like the Ford F-150 Lightning, would use more electricity than a central AC unit in a large home. And then it's not just electric vehicles, but it's uh, building, heating, and cooling. And Congress just decided we wanted to manufacture silicon chips in this country. Use, those use a lot of power. And you're hearing about artificial intelligence everywhere, and that's a lot of churning chips somewhere in a data center. So we got a lot of power demand coming to this country when we really didn't have any for the last, like, 25 years. By 2035, light-duty electric vehicles, a segment which excludes large trucks and airplanes, are projected to comprise about 14.6% of total electricity demand, up from just 0.6% today. 
according to data from Princeton's Zero Carbon Energy Systems Research and Optimization Laboratory, or Zero Lab. This number represents an optimistic scenario in which the provisions in Biden's Inflation Reduction Act prove highly effective. In this same scenario, residential electricity use, such as heating, cooling, and lighting, will represent about 34% of electricity demand, while commercial use in places such as offices or data centers will be about 26%, and industrial uses such as iron, steel, and paper production will represent about 20%. But though transportation is projected to use less electricity than these other segments, it's driving the overall increase in demand, especially in the short term. The electricity use of light-duty vehicles is projected to increase 3,400% by 2035. Compare that to a mere 18% increase in the residential sector, or 7% growth in the commercial sector. Today we have about 470-ish thousand vehicles connected to PG&E's grid. We have a goal of connecting 3 million, building out the grid to connect 3 million vehicles by 2030. PG&E's service territory in Northern and Central California covers about one in seven electric vehicles in the U.S. How it handles the EV transition could serve as a model for the nation, but it's no easy task. The utility is tied to a four-year funding cycle for grid infrastructure upgrades, and Kreptis says that the currently allocated funding relies on outdated data that didn't anticipate such rapid EV adoption. That has PG&E applying for numerous state and federal grants that could help it meet its electrification targets. I think right now, people have an overly simplistic view of what electrification of transportation means. What I actually would caution is that it's very much a double-edged sword. If done right, it will be phenomenal. If mismanaged, there are going to be a lot of upset people, and that is a real risk. That's a risk for regulators, that's a risk for politicians, and that's a risk for utilities. If the nation doesn't match the EV boom with a comparable boom in grid infrastructure buildout, Shimovan says that drivers can expect charging difficulties. That could look like long queues or only being able to charge at certain times and places. And an overly strained grid will be more vulnerable to extreme weather events and prone to blackouts, which California experienced in 2020 and has only narrowly avoided since. The most straightforward way to meet growing electricity demand and keep our electric vehicles charged is to bring more energy resources online, preferably green ones. But though it's easy to site coal and natural gas plants close to population centers, the best solar and wind resources are usually more rural. As the United States tries to move its power and electricity generation from small local regional fossil fuel powered generation points to a renewable grid, a clean grid, you're going to have to completely remake that because wind power comes from places where the wind is blowing. Solar power comes from places where the sun is shining. Wind and solar power are not generated exactly where there are large sources of demand for energy. That means that what the U.S. really needs is more high-voltage transmission lines, which can transport solar and wind resources across county and state lines. These large power lines will also help address the intermittency of renewables, because if the sun isn't shining or the wind isn't blowing in one state, green electricity can be imported from whatever region happens to be windy or sunny at that moment. But Gramlich says that while we're constantly spending money replacing and upgrading old lines, we're hardly building any new ones. I think we need probably about 20 or $30 billion a year on new capacity, new line miles, and new delivery capacity. We're spending close to zero on that right now. Princeton's Zerolab found that the Inflation Reduction Act has the potential to cut emissions by about 1 billion tons by 2030. But if transmission doesn't expand beyond its historical growth rate of 1% per year, over 80% of these reductions could be lost, 
since the growth of wind and solar would be severely limited. We're going to need 2.3% growth in transmission lines per year to be able to maximize the benefit that the Inflation Reduction Act is bringing to our energy system. Shumavan agrees that while we must build more, we also need to build smarter. So historically, planning for the grid has happened mostly by looking at trends and waiting until capacity is needed to be added and then adding that. It's been essentially straight line assumptions that you can do in Excel. But as consumers adopt solar, home battery storage, and EVs, their electricity use has become more difficult to predict and for utilities to adapt to. In Kavala's study for the California Public Utilities Commission, the company utilized power use data collected from customers' smart meters in combination with demographic and purchase history data to forecast when customers are likely to adopt green energy technologies like solar power or EVs, based on what's in their economic best interest. That data can provide utilities and regulators with insight into exactly when and where the grid needs upgrades, helping to get all the stakeholders on the same page so that hopefully permitting for local distribution lines as well as larger transmission lines can be expedited. So certainly, we all understand that we'll need new wires or bigger transformers or things along those lines, but the, the grid is actually managed, it is operated, and the tools that are necessary to operate the grid will need to evolve to be able to support the level of complexity that we are talking about. The U.S. electric grid is actually made up of three distinct grids, the Eastern, Western, and Texas interconnections, which are almost completely isolated from each other, save for a few small connection points. That means that very little electricity is exchanged between them. And though there's widespread agreement that a national grid would be better, actually building the large transmission lines that would make this possible is a regulatory headache. Building more transmission is like herding cats. If you think about those 3,000 plus sources of power generation spread out all throughout the United States, every single utility, county, stakeholder, regulator that needs to be involved in order to get the approval to put a new line of transmission up, it is pulling teeth. And who's supposed to pay how much and how are we going to decide? And then permitting is another area, you know, all these horror stories you hear about a transmission line that takes 18 years to get permitted. You know, that's true. That's happening. Before new energy projects like solar or wind farms can get grid connected, they undergo a series of impact studies to evaluate what new transmission equipment is required, how much it will cost, and who will pay. The list of projects stuck somewhere in this process is massive. There are two terawatts of power generation stuck in these queues. Compared to there's only 1.25 terawatts of generation operating in the country. So more than the amount we have operating is stuck in these interconnection queues. 1,350 gigawatts of that potential capacity comes from over 10,000 new energy generation projects, the overwhelming majority of which are solar or wind. The remaining 680 gigawatts are energy storage projects. But in the meantime, distributed energy resources like residential solar and battery systems can help to pick up the slack, as customers can generate their own power, sell excess electricity back to the grid, or store it for later use. And automakers are increasingly equipping their EVs with bidirectional charging capabilities, which allows customers to use EV batteries to power homes or provide electricity back to the grid, just as a regular home battery system would. Tesla doesn't currently offer this functionality, but has indicated that it will in the coming years, while other models like the Ford F-150 Lightning and Nissan Leaf already do. 
We're doing a lot of work right now with different automakers to really kind of understand what it would take to enable that vision of the future. So what does it mean to connect your vehicle to your home? How can you leverage your vehicle to charge whenever there's renewables on the grid and they're clean and low cost and then discharge back to the grid during the evening hours? While it's clear that electrifying the nation's vehicle fleet, as well as the clean energy transition overall, relies on a large investment in grid infrastructure, experts agree that current funding falls far short. There's a $2.5 billion program called the Transmission Facilitation Program, but there's only $2.5 billion there. And, you know, we spend $2.5 billion on transmission in a month and a half. Just, it's like a drop in the bucket. The Inflation Reduction Act also includes $3 billion in funding for transmission line build-out. But though these numbers sound impressive, they're far from the 20 or $30 billion per year that Gramlich says we need for such a massive infrastructure expansion. And even if we did start spending big today, transmission lines take years to build. There's going to be an in-between period where the need is very high, but the transmission can't be built during the time period where the need happens and distributed energy resources are going to play a very active role in managing that process because no other resources will be available. I would imagine we're going to end up depending on batteries. I would imagine we're going to end up depending on micronuclear reactors. I'm going to imagine that we're really going to focus and there's going to be a lot of emphasis on energy efficiency and energy timing use. PG&E, for example, is thinking about how to optimize charging times for large electric vehicle fleets. So one thing that we're trying to do is to work with some of these companies that are putting in substantial loads to provide flexible load constraints where we can say, you can only charge 50 EVs at 7 p.m., but at 2 a.m. you can charge all 100 or you can charge 90 of your EVs. Krafta hopes these constraints are temporary though, and says that as the grid evolves, PG&E is looking to implement dynamic pricing, incentivizing consumers to use more electricity during off-peak hours through lower electricity rates. But ultimately, many believe that what's needed most is a legislative deal on transmission infrastructure build-out. Democrats seem pretty uh, lined up around the need to build out transmission, mainly because of their interests in clean energy growth. Uh, Republicans seem to want permitting reform for a, a wide variety of infrastructure that includes fossil infrastructure. If Democrats and Republicans can agree to expedite permitting for all types of energy infrastructure, fossil and renewable, Gramlich says that's where we might see a deal. West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin is spearheading this effort with a Biden-backed permitting reform bill introduced in May after similar measures failed last year. The politics will be tricky to navigate, but whether it's this bill or another effort, something has to give, and soon. We need to start yesterday and, and get this done very soon. We don't have very much time at all if we want to actually meet our decarbonization targets.